Welcome to the Citizens Youth Podcast. Citizens Youth is a ministry of Northwest Gospel Church in Vancouver, Washington. Citizens is a community of students who are learning to live for Jesus. We meet every Wednesday at 7 p.m. To find out more, visit us online at nwgospel.com forward slash citizens. Man, you guys are so awesome. Like, I can't tell you. I've been to a lot of places. I've met a lot of people, and I love you guys. Like, like just, I love you guys. You're so fun. And, uh, man, this is, this is three years. She knows my full name, and she always says it. Nobody ever says it either. Um, so, yeah, man, three years. Three years. This is my third year. I was joking earlier that I'm running out of stories. You guys have heard them all, so I got I to gotta go away for a while. Um, Make up some new stuff. Uh, no, I, I love you guys. Thank you for welcoming me, and thank you for welcoming my family. Like, my kids love this. After, like, the full year afterwards, they'll be like, oh, we want to go back to camp. When are we going back to camp? And I'm like, I don't know. I don't know if they're going to invite us back. I don't call Sam and say, Sam, we're sad that we're not there. Um, so we've been guilting them for years, and it just keeps working. Um, but uh, they, night, night three, I always like to just take a couple of minutes here. This is, I, I joke about this too, but like one of, you know, it's, it's one way we can say thank you is just by giving a big cheer, but another way we can say thank you is, is just by looking people in the eye, right? Like by taking a moment, you know, after the gathering, after the weekend's over, and just thanking people. So right now we're going to do a cheer, but I want to highlight some people that you should thank, and, and you should make effort to thank because they're here, because they care about you, because the work that goes into putting on a weekend like this, because you, you might not realize it, but, you know, organizing the amount of stuff you guys do, like I've, I've been to a lot of different camps, and and most camps that I go to are like, like they play a game and then everybody goes to the movies. Like, it's just like, yep, that's the most we could put into this. And the amount of effort that goes into this is phenomenal. So um, first, uh, can you guys just give your leaders a hand? Like... <laughs> yeah. So... I, I, you like you are students, and and by nature you are not full time employees, FTEs. And and what you might not recognize is that many of the humans here are not FTEs of the church, so they're not full time employees of Northwest Gospel Church, right? They have set aside time, a beautiful weekend in the summer, which we don't get many beautiful weekends in the Pacific Northwest, right? We don't we don't get that many. So they've, what's that? Sorry, you scared me. I was like, what happened? It's a fire. Run. Um, live like the mountains out. Yes, live. That's good. Yeah, I said that. I think I said that last year. So they're like, they're off, right? They gave up sleep. Like real food, I mean the food here is, it's good. It's like pretty good camp food. But most adults don't eat like spaghetti with sprinkles. Like most, I mean, the stuff that they've done like to be here, I mean, it's incredible. It's absolutely incredible. And so I will tell you this, that it means a lot to cheer for them and it means a lot to have a good time. And, and the thing that I will tell you is it, it, it means far more for them. And I know this from experience. And I know this from talking to them and listening to them, shed actual real life tears for you in the morning meeting, telling stories about how they're praying for you and they're seeing fruit and the things that hurt you. They're feeling your hurt because they care about you. And so if you go to them and just say thank you, but more than that, just continue allowing them to invest and continue to tell them like, look, I want you. Even if I don't like show that in this moment, I want you to keep pursuing me. Like I, I care about what you're doing and it's meaningful in my life. And sometimes I might not act like it because I'm in a bad place or I'm in a you know, tough spot or I'm just emotionally exhausted. But just tell them thank you and tell them that if you mean that. And that means so much. And so they're sowing this energy into you and people have a finite amount of energy. And so go to them and tell them how much it's meant and tell them those stories because it's huge, friends. It's a huge deal for them. So leaders, rec staff, you guys are amazing. Thank you. Um, thank you so much. And uh, so the other crew that, that goes, I mean, you know, the, the bands and Max, who's back there running all the tech stuff. Max, man, like... <laughs> P- 
People get weird when you start to highlight them, but like Max drove back last night to help at the Vancouver campuses and then drove back here today to be back here running media. And I mean, it, like, it's awesome stuff. And, and like Max wouldn't be like, I've sacrificed so much, right? He'd be like, dude, this is awesome. Like, I love being here, right? Because he cares about you. He cares about all of you. And all of these leaders here, they care about you. And, and I'll, I'll tell you this, the other uh, group, like the, the staff here, if you just go see them, the actual staff at Twin Rocks, most places don't look like this, right? If you've ever been to another camp, the actual facilities, like if you've taken a warm shower here, go thank the people that are working. I've been to a lot of places where they're like, oh, I can shower on Thursday. We leave Wednesday and I'm covered in jello. That's good. Yeah, I'll be fine, I guess. I'll wash off in the murky lake. Um, so yeah, thank them for sure. And, uh, and also there's like a group of people here, uh, students, leaders who just will like engage the kids that are here. There's a bunch of like young moms and young families here. Thank you for that. From, from like my heart to yours, you've like cared for my girls and it makes it so much more fun for them to not just be like, dad, do this, dad, do this, mom, do this. Like for us, we can have a meaningful conversation. And for all the moms here and the dads here of young kids, like we love that stuff. And we don't want you to have to do it, but if you have that heart, and I've seen that heart in so many of you, so thank you guys for that. That's awesome. And um, I, I also will say this, uh, I, I've never told this story before. I don't think I've ever told anybody this story. Um, and so years ago, I think I was still on staff at a church in Olympia, and uh, Sam may have been an intern there. And he was unmarried, um, young man, young Sam. And I was thinking about it today. The reason it popped in my head is I was watching him sprint past everybody in the, uh, the relay race. And then he went over and played in the championship volleyball game. And I think they won. And then like they had to put the ultimate championship on hold because I think he was playing in the ultimate championship. And then he was in like the water polo championship. And then he was like on the roof championship. And then he was in the other championship. And then he was in the academic championship. And then he had to go to the other championship. And, uh, and so he had a crazy day day and and so like watching him sprint past everybody and I was like like Sam's a really good athlete he looks like a track athlete you know those people are just like wiry and they're fast and it reminded me what he is a track athlete oh he's a track star yeah track coach he's a coach now that's an old guy title um, no like he's still a good athlete I don't so there's this picture that exists and when I was like 25, maybe, this, this picture started like being, it was like a prominent picture. It was on the cover of a couple of things in the church. And it's a picture of me, and I was like, we were playing like 500 with a, a Frisbee. And I was holding back like all these kids, and I was getting ready to jump. And Sam came running in front of everybody and jumped like over everyone's head and grabbed the Frisbee. And it, so the picture is cropped to make it look like it's me like jumping, and I'm barely off the ground, and Sam's just skying over me like Vince Carter dunking over that seven foot Russian and he's just grabbing the frisbee and kind of like the smile on his face and I'm like oh wow he's better than me and and for years for years like I would look at that picture and just be like I bet I'm more athletic than Sam nobody even knows it anymore <laughs> like there was this part of me that was like weirdly envious and and just as I've watched Sam become this man and like a father to two kids and like the guy who loves every one of you. Like he prays earnestly for you. He's, he's so gifted and, and man, I'm, I'm saying all this stuff and I don't even wanna look at Sam because I feel like when people start talking about the ways that people are gifted, they have to have this false humility and, humility and be like, I'm not, it's just, it's all God, you know, it's, everything's fine. I'm, I'm dumb, I'm not even smart, I'm dumb. And, and I don't want that from him um, and I don't wanna embarrass him or anything like that, but. I've met a lot of people and Sam is so gifted and he loves you students and you leaders so earnestly. And he's, he's given up a great deal in terms of what the world would value. And I suspect, this is one of my favorite quotes and I was thinking about this on Father's Day with my own family, but I suspect Sam would say something similar to this great missionary uh, who, who said the words, I have never made a sacrifice when, it, when he came to die. That, that Sam wouldn't be looking around and going, I could have had so much, but I'm here. He's looking around and going, this is what I want. This is what I've chosen. And he believes in that. He believes what's happening here. And so you guys, if you have the opportunity to just like love him, encourage him, 
tell him stories about what these leaders and what he's done in your life. That's what makes those guys tick. Like we run to Jesus to be refreshed, but knowing that this work that we're doing is producing fruit, it's a beautiful thing. So can you guys clap for Sam and his wife and just, yeah. So the coolest part of God growing people is like, I look at Sam and I just see this good man and I'm so grateful for the gifts God has given him in every way and how they're building the kingdom of God in ways that I never like could have dreamed of in my own life, but let alone like for him when I met him as a you know, 21 year old intern coming from Zion who like, like if we were having a conversation about anything, Sam had to know the answers. Like he didn't know the answers, but we would be having a conversation about like what's sin and not sin. And Sam would be like, what about this situation? And we'd be like, well, okay, you know, here's the answer. And then he'd be like, what about this situation? And be like, oh, okay, here's the answer. And like, what about this? What about this? And what about this? And we're like, this is gonna go on for a while, isn't it? And just that, like that mind that was hungry for God. And so I'm super grateful for your friendship, brother. Super grateful for what God's doing here. And genuinely, like, I love you guys. I pray for you year round. And then like these, these last couple months, I think of you, you know, every week, twice a week. I'm praying for you. I'm praying for what God's doing this weekend. And I'm so, so thankful to be here, to see it and to play a small part of it. You guys are amazing. So thanks for that. All right. Night three. Night three. We talked about the cry, right? This desperate cry from this man. And the question that we asked in night one was, who or what are you calling to? And then night two, we talked about interruptions, and how we respond to interruptions and this, this trusting in God's timing. And my question for you was, do you trust him? And so tonight, the title of tonight's message is The Unthinkable Healing. The Unthinkable Healing. We're going to read a story from Mark 5, which is actually where we were just last night. And in Mark chapter 5, we meet a character who we have never met. And he's the final character that we'll meet in this group of stories here this weekend. And I think this story, like last night, I said the story was like banana land. And, and that was my daughter's favorite part of the sermon, by the way. My, my wife asked her, she sat through the whole thing. And my wife's like, what was your favorite part? And she goes, banana land. Um, and, uh, and so if that was banana land, this is like, like pineapple land or some, some more extreme fruit, man. This is crazy. Like this story, I'm excited to tell it to you. I'm very, very, very excited to tell it to you. I hope you guys are excited for it because it is a wild one. So um, we, we've heard about moments. We're going to get a moment tonight that, that the main character, the guy we're looking at, he didn't choose, right? The first couple nights, Blind Bartimaeus, he called out. Jairus ran to Jesus. He, he asked for help. The woman who was bleeding, she went to Jesus with hope that if she reached out to touch him, she would be healed. And, and we're going to look at a guy tonight who didn't really choose to be healed. In fact, he probably would have chosen the opposite. He would have run, and he asked to run. So something different happens in the story tonight. I'm excited to share it with you. So let's pray, and then we'll look at Five scenes in tonight's story, five different movements of this text. Father God, we, um, we are here tonight to learn and, and to grow, to have our hearts moved. And, and the encouragement of Psalm 23 and, and the rest of your word, God, but specifically that psalm, even as we sang it, is that you are here. That the promise that you are our shepherd and we are your sheep, is that the shepherd does not leave the sheep. And so we say to you, shepherd of our souls, let us be aware of your presence. Let us abide in your presence and, and let us experience the power of your presence as you bring change to the hearts of hundreds of people tonight. Those of us who might find ourselves having run to you for healing, those of us who, who might find ourselves having run to you for someone else's healing, 
Some of us were dead and have been made alive in you. And some of us, God, have, have asked you to leave us alone, to let us be, for us to stand pat and even go outside and get away from you. And tonight I pray that all of these characters, God, all of us, we find ourselves in some version of that story. All of us, like these characters, would fall on our knees at the feet of the Son of God and say, you are who you say you are, Jesus. You are God. I'm not. We worship you and we need help. So help us tonight. We pray this in your good name. Amen. You ready? Oh man, I don't know if you're ready. Drew. Yeah, I learned your name. Yeah, we're in. I just found that out. Just learned that a moment ago. Mark chapter five, verse one. Are you ready, citizens? Yes, you are ready. Let's do it. Mark chapter five, verse one. Let's get nuts. All right. They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of the Gerasenes. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. Woo-hoo, buddy. Scene one. Let's meet our main character. A tormented dude. This dude is nuts. Right? Like, it says he has an unclean spirit, and he, Jesus gets off of a boat, which I don't know if you've ever gotten off of a boat, but there's not like a, a plethora of exits. There's not just a whole bunch of ways that you can get off of a boat. It's a little bit like a plane, right? They file you through the one exit, and he steps off the boat, and Mark gives us the immediate that Mark likes to give us, and he says he steps off the boat, and here comes sprinting at Jesus a naked demon-possessed dude. Now, here's my question for you. What would you do, right? You get off your primary mode of transportation and some naked dude comes running up to you and he's like, blah, 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 right? And he's scarred up. And he's all just maybe sunburnt, bearded, unkempt. That's, I'm with Brian, licensed counselor. I'm with Brian. Yep, this town has nothing for me right? I'm gone. I'm gone. And I know like if you're a high school guy or maybe like a tough junior high guy, we like to be like, man, I knock him out, right? I square up, right? Right? Could bring it on. You start peacocking and then you find out that he breaks metal. Like they put chains on him. A lot of, I saw some dudes playing with the swing out there and you're like, wee, these chains are so great, right? These support my weight. They're excellent. And he was like, rawr, rawr, rawr. I eat chains for breakfast, right? And like, and you think you're squaring that dude up and you're just tricking yourself because there's a cute girl in the room. I mean, it's not happening. That dude runs up on you and you're like, and what do you want? What do you want? Take my money, take my money, take my money, right? I mean, nobody in town could subdue him. They couldn't wrestle him to the ground. They couldn't keep him down with chains, steel. Nothing worked. He's the strongest man alive. Like if there was YouTube at this time, he would have five billion views. Everybody in the world would be watching what this guy was doing. You ever see those arrest videos of the police officers trying to tase people and the guy's just eating tasers? Just like, bring it, chew me again. Like just, just eating tasers, right? That's this guy. They shackle him up and it doesn't even affect him. He just tears him apart and it says night and day. He doesn't sleep. He doesn't sleep. He's cutting himself with stones and he lives in the cemetery. He lives with the dead people. He's cutting himself with stones and he's crying out and, and the town can hear it night and day. 
You want to live there? Property value goes down. It's terrifying. And this tormented man, living amongst the tombs, he sprints up to Jesus, exiting the boat. And look what happens next. Strongest guy around, look what he does. This is verse six. He saw Jesus from afar and he ran and he fell down before him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I adjure you. I mean, it's like, I beg you by God. I'm asking you, do not torment me. For he was saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now a great herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him, saying, send us to the pigs, let us enter them. What? <laughs> I'll pause for a second. Scene one, tormented man. And scene two is a fearful plea. Here's a guy nobody could subdue. Nobody could bind him up. And he runs up to the feet of Jesus and he falls down on his knees and he starts begging him. He, he, the guy who has been oppressing the town, the guy no one could pin down, the guy no one could keep everybody safe from. They couldn't figure out how to keep him contained. They didn't know what to do with this man. He runs up to the feet of Jesus And he says, don't hurt me. Don't torment me. Don't toy with me. And Jesus, immediately when he saw him, it said that Jesus had been commanding the the spirit to come out of him. So we know that this man, he's not well, right? I mean, he's someone who, the Bible's using the term demon-possessed. He has an unclean spirit. The story is known as the Gerasene demoniac, someone who's possessed by demons. Is that hard for you to swallow in the year 2018? Is it hard for you to to see something like this and hear those words? Because in our world, our, our little world, it's really hard to believe anything that escapes our own logic, right? But friends, I'll tell you, if you've walked the streets, you've met people with mental illness, people who embody behavior like this. And, and I was telling Sam this yesterday, I had a New Testament professor, and he was, I think, speaking on this very story. He's a good man. And he said, people often question whether or not you know, demon possession or mental illness in the New Testament. And his whole point was, it didn't matter. All that mattered was that Jesus had authority over that. Jesus has authority over that. And so whether or not this man was schizophrenic, I don't know. I choose the biblical words here that we have written down in Holy Scripture that he was possessed by a demon and perhaps one is the other or they go together. I don't know, but Jesus has authority over that thing. And the way that I know that is that thing, whatever that thing was, the the demons, the demonic spirits, multiple that lived in this man, they come running to the feet of Jesus and they say, what do you want with us? Don't torment us, do whatever you want, but you know, kind of let us live. They beg him, they are afraid of him. They throw themselves at the feet of the son of God and they call him that. What do you have to do with us, Jesus, son of the most high God? They're terrified. Now, I said if you were Jesus getting off the boat, how do you respond? But in this situation, you know, we're not Jesus. In this situation, we're more than likely the bystander who's watching this unfold. And you see this man who has been tormented for years, who hasn't slept and is clearly disturbed. And... and whose no one has been able to pin down, to physically overpower. The entire neighborhood tried to tie him up and chain him up and they couldn't. And that guy runs to Jesus and says, have mercy on me. 
this is an incredible scene. And if you were there as a bystander, what would you think? Would you think, who's that guy? If, if this guy is bowing down to that guy, who's that guy? I need to know who that is. Like, I need to know what type of authority he has if he's more powerful than him then that's the kind of power that I can get behind, right? I haven't been able to figure out this power. I thought this was the most powerful thing I had ever seen. And now suddenly there's some greater power than that. And so they're watching this thing unfold. And if you look back at the language, it's, it's sort of awful. Like this, this guy, I mean, Jesus asked him, he says, what is your name? So immediately he starts commanding him, come out, right? And so the demons start to beg for mercy. And Jesus asked this question, he says, what is your name? And the man doesn't speak. Who speaks? The demons. Like if you came up to me and you were like, what is your name? And I was like, Jake, that would be a normal conversation. And if you came up to me and you were like, what is your name? And I was like, Legion, for we are many. You'd be like, I'm done. I gotta go. The bus is not leaving, but I'm gonna be on it. The doors will be locked. You stay as far away from me as possible, sir. Right? That's He says, legion, for we are many. The demon answers when Jesus asks this man for his name. And friends, I'll tell you this. Your name is who you are, right? When people ask, who are you? I don't tell them what I do. I don't tell them where I've been, who I'm married to. They say, oh, who are you? And I say, I'm Jake. And Jesus asks him, who are you? What is your name? And the demons answer for him. But get a hold of this. This is wild. So Jesus asks him, and he says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then it says, and he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. So we have a shift there. Because when the demons speak, we get plural pronouns, right? When the demons speak, the demon says, my name is Legion, for we are many. And then the man starts to speak and he says, don't send me out of the country. Don't banish me from my town. Don't send me out of here. And so the man believes that he's inseparable from this evil. He believes that this is who he is, right? They're washed together. I am the demon-possessed man. And if you banish the demons, then you are banishing me. Not only do I live in the tombs, but this is my last connection to humanity. And if you send me into the desert, then I will surely die alone and broken and gone. He begs him, don't send me out of the country. And then he looks around and there's pigs feeding there on the hillside. And look at this, this is verse 12. Look back at what it says. And they begged him. Verse 10 is singular. He begged him. That's the man speaking. Verse 12 is plural. And they begged him. So the demons start to speak. The man says, don't send me into the countryside. Don't send me out there to die demon possessed. And then the demons speak and they go, you know what? Why don't you send us into those pigs? And there's something strange happening here because if the demons are cast out, They have no host, right? They're gone. So the man believes he's inseparable, but the demons are cast out. The man lives on. He's healed and he's made well, and the demons are gone. So they they can no longer fulfill their work of evil. And so the demons say, you know what? Send us into those animals. And perhaps they're thinking, if you send us into those animals, then we'll come back we'll torment someone else or we'll find our old host after you leave. There's a ruse at work. Send us to the pigs. Let us enter them. Now, that's scene two. You guys following with me? This is a weird story, right? Look at verse 13. This is scene three. So he gave them permission. That's Jesus. He gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the sea and were drowned in the sea. 
What if I was just like, all right, let's go. <laughs> let's pray. That's the end of night three. <laughs> and you guys are like, I'm going to need some explanation here. <laughs> Which, I mean, if I'm being honest, like, so do I, right? I read commentaries and I listen to sermons and I try to figure it out. And I feel like smart people are like, let's find an academic reason for this, right? The pigs were unclean. Jesus wanted to kill the pigs because he was a Jew. So he sends the demons into the pigs. I'm like, you are out of your mind. If you're trying to go logical explanation to this story, what's the point of this story? The point of this story isn't for you and I 2,000 years later to figure it out. Not for us to just be like, okay, so this is where the demons start to talk. And here's the part where Jesus sends the demons into the pigs. That obviously makes sense. The pigs rush off a cliff and drown. Why wouldn't they? And then the people are all terrified. Let's draw out some practical applications. Don't jump off cliffs. Don't let your pigs around demon-possessed dudes because who knows what could happen. That's a small fortune. Like if we just are picking out practical lessons here, like let's pick some principles. This, that would be nonsense from this story. So what's the point? Like why is this night three of camp? Because the point of this story is for every single person who saw it and read it and heard about it for all of history to stand in awe at the power and the authority of the Son of God. To look at this and go, whoa. This isn't nice little box Jesus that you fit him into and you go, oh, okay, that's the Jesus that I welcome into my heart and he does whatever I tell him to. He's my Jesus genie. This is Jesus who looks at thousands of demons. Okay, look, it says 2,000 pigs and all of them rush off a cliff. Does that mean there were 2,000 demons? I don't know. But there's enough demons to go into the 2,000 pigs this is an army of the enemy's workers. And in scene three here, we have a clear victory for God. A clear victory for Jesus. Friends, if you picture this, okay? Let me ask you this question. How do you picture God and Satan? And you don't have to answer it, but just in your mind, how do you picture God, the Father, Jesus, the Son, the Holy Spirit, dealing with evil? Is it like this epic struggle? Like Lord of the Rings, this epic struggle, this battle that's been going on for ages where God's just warring against Satan and they're both sort of equally strong, but we believe that the good guy always wins because we watched the never-ending story when we were little and so then it's gonna happen, right? God's eventually gonna prevail and they're just like, you know, Rocky and the, I'm using old movie examples because I'm old. I don't have any new movie examples because I don't go to the movies, but whatever new movie you watch where the good guy and the bad guy are duking it out and finally Finally, like the good guy wins and they're both like, oh, the good guy barely made it because that's climactic justice, right? Is that how you picture God entangled with evil? Because if it is, I'm going to tell you this. Look right at me on this. You're wrong. All through scripture and all through history, God uses Satan as a dish rag throughout the entire Bible, Satan shows up and he begs God for permission to do anything and God goes, look, I'm using this for my glory. He allows it. He gives him permission like a teacher dismissing a child and the demons, thousands of demons, thousands, if this is a battle, it's 2,000, 5,000, however many on one and they come begging at the feet of that one. And Jesus gives them permission to enter the pigs and thinking, oh, perhaps we've, we've delayed our fate a little longer and instead they rush off the edge of a cliff and are killed and wiped out. Friends, this is a massacre. And this is how God deals with evil always. From the very beginning in Genesis 3 when Adam and Eve rebel, the snake's in the garden and he doesn't tempt God. The serpent doesn't go to God and say, look, aren't you kind of sad that this is what you made? He doesn't go to God and start questioning God to himself. He goes to God's creation and he starts to plant the seed of doubt. And when God shows back up, when he arrives in Genesis 3 in the garden to walk with Adam and Eve and they're hiding, what does God do? He curses Adam and he curses Eve and then he looks at the snake and he tells him, what? What? 
I will crush your head. There's a story happening here, serpent, and you're a prop. This is not a battle for the ages. This is God demonstrating unthinkable, unimaginable power over and over and over again, over sin and death and evil and demons and Satan forever. Friends, if you have fear of evil, but you believe in God, do not fear, only believe. Take heart. He's so much bigger. He's so much bigger. So I said, if we're watching this, there's a clear victory here. God destroys evil. And then what happens? Remember, if you're picturing yourself as a bystander, we get this. Look back at the text in Mark chapter five, verse 14. It says, the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. The herdsman is the guy who owned the pigs for what it's worth. And people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and they saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there, clothed and in his right mind, and they were afraid. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. What happened? Scene four here is a fearful response, a confused reaction. Why are they afraid? Again, picture it with me if you're there. The guy who owned the pigs, right? It says he goes back to town, and I don't know how far they are from town, but in my mind, it was like one of those videos online where somebody sees something and they just put that music to it, like the herdsman's power walking out of wherever this interaction happened, like back to his house, and then he just keeps going. Like he's just like, nope, 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 nope. And it's like a small town, right? This isn't some booming metropolis. And so people recognize him and he doesn't have his pigs with him. He's missing 2,000 pigs. And people are like, hey, Derek, where are your pigs at? Derek. And, and Derek's like, he's like, mm-mm, he, they're gone. They're gone and I'm gone. I ain't coming back here. Right? <laughs> And, and so they're like, what happened? And they start walking with him. And he's like, the dude showed up and he sent the demons into the pigs. We got to go now. If you're coming with me, get your go bag. It's time to go. <laughs> There's something crazy happening out there. Like he just, and, and so then word starts to pre- spread and naturally like the curious people, right? There's like two kinds of people that respond to stories like this. The people that go with Derek, right? And they're like, we're running, you're running, I'm running, right? Like the people are like, what? what? What's happening? Let's go, let's go. Like you start to panic with them. And then there's the people who are like, what happened? Someone was murdered? Where? Where are they murdered? I've got to see this for myself. And then naturally they encounter some trouble, right? It's a classic horror movie plot. The people who flee and the people who are like, what is that chainsaw sound in this basement? Like, I... <laughs> so they, they show up. I'm sorry. I'm off the rails. All right. Pull it back. So they go back. And they see this guy who they had been fighting against and who had been ruining their lives in so many ways, who had been tormented by Uh, dozens, hundreds, thousands of demons. (laughs) And he's clothed 
and he's in his right mind and they recognize that someone is in their midst and if they encounter that someone, their life will never be the same. And they start to beg him to leave. Please go, don't, like, our, our life, it may not be perfect, but at least we understand it. It may not be perfect, but at least I know what to expect. And if you stay, Jesus, if you stay here, if, if I meet you or you start to do more things like this, you start healing people, you're disrupting our entire society and we don't know what to do with that. I don't know how to respond if I'm not in control anymore. If I don't know what's going to happen when I wake up tomorrow, I don't know what to do. And they beg him to run out. And friends, if you're in that place, if you're in that place where when, when Jesus starts to move in your heart and you just go, I can't, no, that needs to be in a box and it's not in a box. If it's in a place in your heart where when God starts to do something and you beg him to leave and go, don't touch that, all right? that thing is where I want it to be, then you have created idols and he is not God. You are God and he wants to blow that thing out of the water because he loves you and he knows better than you do. It's, it's terrified reaction from the townspeople because they go, look, at least with the demon-possessed guy, we knew what we had. With you, who knows what you're gonna do next? He showed no regard for this herdsman's wealth, for their way of life. He changed everything and they're afraid. But there's one guy who wasn't afraid. There's one guy who responded differently than the rest of the villagers. He's, he's our main character. Look back. This is verse 18. As he was getting into the boat, this is Jesus. <laughs> this is amazing. Jesus gets off the boat. A demon-possessed man runs up to him. He stays. He heals the demon-possessed man, kills 2,000 pigs in the process. And the people are like, please leave. And he's like, okay. And he's getting back in the boat. And who runs up to him? It's verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him, he's still begging. He begged him that he might be with him and he did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him and everyone marveled. Scene four is a confused reaction. Scene five is a story to tell. This man responds the way any of us would. He's been tormented. He's been tortured. He's been hammered down. Sick, just not well. And when his brain and his mind are finally made clear by Jesus, he runs to Jesus and he says, wherever you're going, I will go. I want to follow you. I want to be with you. You made me better. I'll do anything. Just let me be with you. And friends, I've had that response. I've had that response where I've been like, Lord, wherever you send me. I was 20 years old. I told you that when I met Jesus. I had, I had no wife. I had no kids. I thought for certain I would die in some strange country. I was just ready. I was ready to be with Jesus. I was ready to be radical for Jesus and give my life in some mission field far away and go somewhere. And Jesus did the same thing to me that he did to this man. He sends him home, which is sometimes the hardest place to go. And he says, go home and you tell everyone what God has done for you. You tell every person you see. Spare no details. Don't walk in and go, you know, the story started to shift when um, I was naked, but I was starting to think clearly, you know, like, like it, the fog was really lifting and, and I kind of came to myself and I met this guy and we had a good conversation and he told me about this new way of thinking. 
And so I put my head in a microwave and I decided that that was the new way I was going to think. And so I sort of, you know, then I found my clothes and I got myself dressed. He doesn't say, start to shift the story. He doesn't say, start to make it a little bit prettier. He says, tell them the guts, tell them the visceral parts of this story. You tell them what God did for you here. You tell them that you lived in the town cemetery with the dead people and you cut yourself and you didn't sleep and you ran around naked and it was horrifying and that I, God of the universe, came here, met you off this boat and made you better. You tell that story. And friends, every single one of you are telling a story. You're telling a story. Because we're human beings and God made us and what we talk about, what we love, excuse me, what we love, we talk about. If you love dinner, you'll tell everybody how great dinner was. If you love, I had a friend who loved barbecue sauce. He used this as an example. He's like, I evangelize the heck out of this barbecue sauce. I tell everybody about it, right? What we love, we talk about. Our hearts just do that. That's who we are. Every one of us is telling a story with our lives and with our mouths. And and here's the deal. After this, this is the crazy part of camp. After this, we're going to go home. Very polite. We're going to go home. And you can start to think. Stay with me here, all right? Stay with me. Look right at me. You can think about how in some future world you will be a missionary and God will use you in some wild way. And I'm gonna tell you this right now, God tomorrow will send you home. And you will go home and you will tell a story. And my question for you tonight is what story are you telling? What story are you telling with your life and your words? Who's the hero of that story? What's happening in your story? Are you shifting the narrative to make yourself look a little better? Are you the main character who comes in and saves everybody? Are are you the hero who comes in and saves the damsel in distress? Are you the one who never really needs saving because your life is pretty well put together? Are are you the one who went to camp and came away with lots of stories about what other people did? What happened there for everybody else? What story are you telling? What story are you going to tell? Here's our story. This is my story and I feel comfortable saying us. Not because I'm here and I work here. Because we are the people of God. And God is writing our story. In fact, our story has been written. We are citizens of heaven. Are you? Are you telling that story? I'm going to read a passage of scripture here. And then I'm going to pray, and then we're going to respond again, the same way we have been for the last few nights. We'll sing. We may have a directed response in some way. But I want you to listen to this story. I want you to listen to these people that were given a story in the words written long ago. It says, 1 Peter... Chapter 2, if I can find it, and you stay with me, and you close your eyes and you listen to the story that God wrote for these people. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Will you tell that story of how you received mercy? Of how God shaped you into his people? Let's pray. Lord, there are so many things in this story that we looked at tonight that we might have questions about and wonder about, and those are good things. And there are places that we can discuss those questions and dialogue about those questions and maybe find answers to those questions. But more importantly, tonight, my prayer and my hope is that we as your people would stand in awe of what you can do how you can heal and how you have healed and how there are stories in this room of how you met us and you saved us and you showed us mercy. And many of us are telling that story with our lives and our words. And I pray that other people would join in that chorus of stories that have been changed. Moments that have changed our story forever and woven us together into your story. God, will we stand in awe of what you are doing? And most of all, God, will we stand in awe of what you have done? It's finished. The work of Jesus is done. There's nothing we can add to it. And so when we worship you tonight, we worship you because you did everything. You brought us to yourself. You are producing love in our hearts. You are doing this great work. And so move us and shape us and change our stories as your people, a royal priesthood called to proclaim your excellencies because you dragged us out of darkness and into marvelous light. And so we sing those songs and we praise you and we worship you and we love each other because of you. We pray that tonight, God. Help our hearts, please. In your glorious, powerful, astounding name we pray. Amen.